Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There's no offseason, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this on the 16th day of September 2018 on an absolutely outrageously perfect day in Palo Alto, California. In fact, I'm currently standing outside on the Stanford campus in Palo Alto, California, the home of the Stanford Cardinal, alma mater of many great baseball players, including former Cy Young Award winner Jack McDowell and potential Hall of Famer Mike Mussina. I have no problem if Mike Mussina gets in the Hall of Fame. I don't know how anyone could get have a problem if a player gets into the Hall of Fame. Because obviously if they're in that conversation, then they clearly had a, you know, a quality career. You know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a big Hall guy. I don't see the problem. Even there, there are some players who are in the Hall of Fame that I admit that I personally would not have supported. Uh, Trevor Hoffman is a pitcher that I would not have voted if I had a Hall of Fame vote. Uh, I do not believe he... W- I would not have given him the vote, but he got elected in, and I don't sit there shaking my fist at the sky saying, oh, man, why do we, why do we have Trevor Hoffman in the Hall of Fame? Because, quite frankly, I would rather have a 1,000 Trevor Hoffmans in the Hall of Fame than one more Tom Yawkey or one more Bobby Cox. You know, those are two people. Take their plaques out melt them down. We don't need either one of them. Both of them, not only uh, I felt... Uh, I don't know, they both make the world worse. I don't want to celebrate the Bobby Coxes of the world or the Tom Yawkeys of the world. But, you know, Trevor Hoffman. Uh, I felt he blew too many big games. Uh, I felt he was a, uh, a beneficiary of lenient save rules or was able to pile up piles of saves. Uh, but you know what? He did it for a long period of time. Fine. Fine. So if you see it gets in the Hall of Fame, great. Great. Uh, I mentioned Cox, obviously. Anyone who knows me and my stance on some things knows the reason why I, uh, I'm no fan of Bobby Cox and why I think his plaque should be taken down and melted. Uh, domestic abuser. Uh, and he was so punished for being a domestic abuser that his team won the World Series the same year and he's been treated as a, uh, one of the great statesmen of the game and blah, 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 blah. He's a worthless piece of crap. And that stance has allowed me to look at this. I mean, I mean, I I saw the Red Sox were winning, and part of me was like, do you know what, Sully? Maybe just give yourself a break, and you've made your point. Flip the game on, and then I happened to see by the 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 game uh, the ticker that's on the MLB app that they were not using Kimbrel, but they were using Stephen Wright to get a save. And I said, nope, can't do it. The Red Sox are going to play the Yankees starting on Tuesday. If the Red Sox win one game, they not only clinch the American League East, they do it on the Yankees' lawn. And it would be such a wonderful middle finger in so many ways as this Red Sox team has a legitimate chance to win 110 games. And unless I see rights on the disabled list or removed for health reasons, it's not even going to occur to me to watch it. It's not even, it's not even hitting my radar to watch it. Because at some point, you have to say something is more important. 
And that's all I'm going to say on that particular topic because there's so much more baseball to talk about and there's a lot of fun things happening. Now, as I'm recording this, there actually are still a few games that are going on. And I'll have to say that every single time I think I figured out the National League and what the hell is going on in the National League, something, someone or some of the team throws a wrench in it. You know, the Cubs, I thought, were about to run away with the Central and then they stubbed their toe a few times. And even though the Brewers lost a couple of really close and dumb games to the Pirates, they're still hanging in there. It's a lot, you know, look at, there's only, there's only about two weeks of games left, so it's going to be tough to make up three games for the Brewers, but you know what? It's not impossible. It's not. And a few, you know, a well-placed hit here, a well-placed hit there, and all of a sudden a three-game lead turns into a one-game lead, and then things get interesting. The the one thing that is pretty clear is that the Phillies have taken a bazooka to their foot. And even though Atlanta has not exactly been lighting the world on fire, losing their last couple of games, that division's pretty much all sewn up. Uh, the Dodgers, who were left for dead a couple of weeks ago, as I'm recording this, are currently tied, are currently in first place by themselves. Now, the Rockies are indeed winning as I'm recording this, and if the Rockies hold on and L.A. loses tonight, then they'll flip-flop. But do you know what? How many times have we declared the Dodgers dead? How many times have we talked about how, oh, my God, their offense is horrible, their bullpen's a mess, they lost Kershaw for a chunk of the season, they lost Corey Seager for most of the season, you know, Kenley Jansen's heart's about to explode. What the hell is going on here? And yet there is... As of right now, the, the the Dodgers would be would be uh, would they be hosting? No, they would be on the road for the division series, but have as good a chance as any to go to the World Series. And then you look up and say, "Yeah, the Dodgers won back-to-back pennants." That's not not only is that not out of the question. Yeah, they're in first place right now, and it's mid-September. You know, I thought you know the Colorado was on the verge of just picking up the division, putting it on their arm, and for the first time in their history, finishing a season in first place, especially after they made mincemeat out of the Arizona Diamondbacks and were going to San Francisco, who are in the middle of the longest losing streak they've had since they were in the polo grounds. So what happens then? Naturally, the Giants win the first two games and completely shut out the Rockies offense. Now, as I said, I'm recording this as the Giants are currently losing um, three to one, but you know, it's it's they could turn around and win that game. Now, the American League, as we're you know, we're now in mid-September, and there's there's virtually no suspense. I, I mean, I don't believe the Ast- I think the Astros are actually firing on all cylinders right now, and could very well put themselves in a potential to, you know, win the pennant again. They're 94 and 55. Now, 94, okay, let's go, go look at it. 90, 94 and 55. They have 13 games left. They have 13 games left. If they play one game uh, above 500 over that stretch. They will finish with 101 wins. Now, no one's noticing that because of the outrageous win total that the Red Sox are putting up. But the Astros are all but a cinch to 
put up their second straight 100-win season. And you look at Bregman. Now, Bregman is having... Uh, he's having a wonderful season. Obviously, he was an all-star. He, uh, he had you know, the dramatic home run in the all-star game. Obviously, got big hits in last year's postseason, including the walk-off game in that game in the, uh, in the World Series. Uh, he's batting two ninety-four. He has a nine fifty-two OPS. You know, he, you know, he has his 30 home runs. If you like RBI, he has 100 of them. You like stolen bases. You know, he's stolen 10, so he's, you know, he's the complete player. And... You can make a compelling case for Bregman to be, if not the MVP, then certainly top five. When you consider how much time they lost with Correa, how much time they lost with Altuve, for a big chunk of the season, the Astros' offense looked like it was floundering, and it was Bregman who has been the go-to guy all year long. And it's amazing when you stop and think, about how many people were panicking and how many people thought, oh my God, this Astros team, what's going on? They're going to wind up winning 100 games. And going into the postseason without many flaws. The Red Sox are going to go in with Chris Sale. People wondering, is he going to be a middle reliever? And about their middle relievers, save for piece of shit Stephen Wright, you don't know what the hell you've got. I mean, would anyone, anyone, anyone be stunned if the Astros beat the Cleveland Indians? Would anyone, anyone, anyone be stunned if the Astros beat the Red Sox in a best-of-seven series? I know. Why wouldn't? How could you be? And it's, this is how bizarre the American League is going to be. The Houston Astros are going to be the defending World Series champions and be a team that won 100 games loaded with All-Stars. And people are going to portray them as the underdog to the Red Sox. I mean, think about you want to, to put a chip on a team's shoulder. So, you know, the Astros, look at my not following the Red Sox notwithstanding, I'm clearly not going to root against the Red Sox. But I do not see a team going into October, especially if Altuve and Correa are hitting, that's stronger than the defending World Series champion Astros. Even if they finish 10 games behind the Red Sox, I'm sorry, they have to be considered the team to beat. I'm not saying this to curse anyone. I'm standing on the Stanford campus. I don't have a hell hell of a lot of power over this. I don't. But Bregman has to, his season, you have to consider that if you use the vague term most valuable player, the value that he brings to the table as the lone superstar who stayed healthy during this whole mess makes me think, hey, this is, this is a potential MVP. Hey, I wanted to sort of pull the curtain back a little bit here. Uh, I paused the recording and I moved somewhere else. I'm standing outside recording this on the Stanford campus. In fact, as I'm recording this, I happen to be looking right at the, uh, the Hoover Pavilion. Now, as I was recording that last little thing about uh, Bregman, a guy kind of walked up and he stood like maybe five or six feet away from me and was looking at me as if, what the hell is this guy doing? And the guy didn't say, hey, you're Sully from Sully Baseball, aren't you? It was, 
the hell is this guy doing? And I look at, I understand that standing in a little grass field here in Stanford campus might be a strange place to record a, a baseball podcast, but you know what? Quit looking at me. Quit looking at me. So I paused and I moved. And the guy moved on. So that just shows you, I just, you know, just l- let me podcast, okay? This is what your pal Sully does. This is, I don't have much right now. Let, just let me podcast. Let me stand on a, on, a, on a patch of grass and talk about the Astros. Hey, um, let me tell you something interesting that I heard. Um, while I've basically forsaken following the Red Sox in this amazing run they're having, uh, it doesn't mean I can't hate listen to the Yankees. Just because I'm not happy with my, the team that I've been rooting for since I was a kid doesn't mean I can't revel in the Yankees falling on their face. And the fact of the matter is, down the stretch for the Yankees, this has been, I, I, don't, I can't say nightmarish, but man, is it stupid. Like, when you look at some of the teams that they've been losing to, the Blue Jays, the White Sox, the Twins, teams whose number they have, teams that they should be clobbering, and instead they're stumbling and losing series, losing two out of three here, losing, you know, splitting against a poor team there, having players with ERAs begin with nine, shut them down. If I were a Yankee fan, I'd be really, really nervous Uh, I'm not saying that as a Red Sox fan. I'm saying that as mediocre pitchers are shutting down this lineup. Now, I don't understand why there is a controversy of who to start. You know, a few weeks ago, I was really a proponent of them doing a bullpen game, like taking Hap or Lynn and combining those two to get them through five or six innings and then using the bullpen. But a couple of things have changed since then. First of all, uh, you don't have Chapman... I mean, he's, I mean, he's still injured, and even if he comes back, you don't know which Chapman you have. Uh, Betances is, uh, every time I seem to watch him, he's getting clobbered. And also, and this is probably the biggest turn of events, is Masahiro Tanaka has been outstanding. Tanaka's been an all-star. Tanaka's been a Cy Young contender. And when you consider that Britain, Britain has pitched very, very well. Zach Britton, since uh, the last few weeks. And, you know, you take your chances with Robertson, you take your chances with Holder, and you take your chances with Patances, even though I would never give Patances the ball for the ninth inning. But the way Masahiro Tanaka has pitched recently, I mean, it's, he's heads and shoulders their best pitcher. And it being a one game, and it's pretty clear it's going to be against the Yankees, the, against uh, the Oakland Athletics, the only question is, you know, will it be... In Oakland, or will it be in the Bronx? I'm I'm guessing it'll probably be in the Bronx, but you know you never know. They could be the Yankees who continue their their you know chipping away slide. But either way, you have to hand the ball to Tanaka and take your chances. You know the A's. Not I'm not sure who the A's are going to start. I mean, Fires has not looked very good recently. They've lost Manaya for the rest of the season. I mean, you know, you're not going to start Edwin Jackson in that. But the main thing that the A's have, two things that the A's have that the Yankees should be afraid of is they have an offense, which granted has been kind of do- looked dormant against the, the Rays, but when they get hot, they can score in bunches. And if they score in bunches early, the A's bullpen is just as good as the Yankees' bullpen. So, the, so that kind of negates the Yankees' biggest strength. 
And so the one thing the Yankees have in their favor is right now they do indeed have a starting pitcher who you I would feel confident handing the ball to. Tanaka. I mean, Tanaka's a fine pitcher, and he has been for a bunch of years. And he's pitched well in the postseason as well. He's a good pitcher. And he's, a, he's pitched well when the game is on the line. And this is a wild card game. They're going to need it. You're not going to trust anyone else. So I was listening to the game, though, the other day. And this goes to a point I've been making for a long time. Now, it was uh, John Sterling and Susan Waldman were doing the announcing of the Yankee game. And I have had my, uh, my problems with the tone of John Sterling that he seems to constantly complain that things are different now and waxing poetically for the past, which, of course, is a very unique baseball thing, to have the very narration of the game be crapping on the very game you're watching. Things used to be better. People used to be tougher. I saw it better, which, of course, gee whiz, I wonder if that's something that turns off kids, is having some grumpy old man tell you the thing you're watching sucks. But he started talking about something that really caught my attention for a specific reason. They were talking again about like something stupid, like you know, batting gloves. You know, did Mickey Mantle or Joe DiMaggio never wore batting gloves? He would have. He also would have worn a helmet, and Mickey Mantle would have used steroids. There would have been no bigger performance-enhancing drug user than Mickey Mantle. Do you know why? Because he was constantly injured. He would have been on every PED imaginable. You know. How did Babe Ruth play without that? Do you know what? Because it wasn't invented yet. The same reason that Lou Gehrig wasn't on Twitter. That's why. And at one point, Susan Waldman and, and John Sterling were talking about Ricky Henderson. And they were talking about how Ricky Henderson stole all those bases. He stole, would steal over 100 in a year, a bunch of his years. And that he didn't have those uh, gloves. They were pointing out one of the players, I forget who it was, put on a new pair of gloves when they were about to steal a base. You know, it was different from the batting gloves. So, well, you know, Ricky Henderson didn't do it. And it was basically talking about, here is Ricky Henderson, the single greatest base stealer, the greatest leadoff hitter, and quite frankly, uh, I think the most underappreciated offensive player in the history of baseball. Look it up. That he did everything perfectly. And that he didn't use these kind of gloves when he stole bases. Now, I'm not 100% sure that's true. I do remember seeing some pictures of him wearing gloves. But maybe they were batting gloves. I don't know. But they were talking about him comparing the players today with Ricky Henderson. and, and, And he didn't have to do that. And he didn't have to do this. And I'll tell you why that caught my ear. It caught my ear because I can think of no clearer example of the concept of nostalgia making people of the past superheroes and using that nostalgia to crap on the present than that. This is, again, I think this is unique to baseball. It may exist in some elements, especially when nobody is any good in basketball if they're compared to Michael Jordan. LeBron's no Jordan. No, he's LeBron. Why can't he be LeBron? Well, he's not Jordan. 
Okay, that, that element is, exists in, in, in basketball, but, but it's not as strong as it is in baseball. But now, Ricky Henderson is considered to be classic, tough, old school, the type of no-nonsense player who plays it the way it's supposed to be played. That's how he's being portrayed. That Ricky, Ricky didn't have to do that. Why can't players today be the way that Ricky was? Now stop and think about that for a second. Now I'm a Ricky Henderson fan, but a lot of that's in retrospect because I wasn't a huge fan of his when he played, mainly because he played for the Yankees and the A's, which were two teams I rooted against. But you couldn't help but admire and look at him and, and, and realize that you were watching. It was, you're obviously watching greatness. But in his time, Ricky was looked upon as what was wrong in baseball. He was considered to be too flashy. He was considered to be too arrogant. He was considered to be too cocky. And, uh, you know, I wonder how much of that was a smidge racial as well. But he was considered to be a me-first player. And I remember when he stole the base that broke Lou Brock's lifetime stolen base record. You know, he held the base up. He stole third base, held the base up, and he gave his famous speech, which, you know, which has been pointed to, was pointed to so often as an example of arrogant me-first players of the 90s. When he said, Lou Brock was a great base dealer, but today I am the greatest of all time and holding up the base. That, oh my God, what arrogance, what cockiness. And that same day... The exact same day that Ricky Henderson struck out, uh, Ricky Henderson stole the base that broke the all-time record, Nolan Ryan threw a no-hitter and basically knocked Ricky off of the front page. And there was a lot of people at that time were saying, good. Nolan Ryan's old school. Nolan Ryan does it the way it's supposed to be done. Nolan Ryan is this, Nolan Ryan is that, and with more dignity, and Ricky Henderson was flashy and me first, but here's Nolan Ryan showing how it's done. Boom. And at that time, Ricky Henderson was the epitome of what's wrong with baseball, and Nolan Ryan was the epitome of everything that was right with baseball. And yet, we fast forward a couple of decades, and Ricky Henderson, same person, has transformed into old school toughness, the way the game was supposed to be played. The person you look to and say, do you want these players today? Why can't they be as tough and as selfless as Ricky Henderson? Now, what's changed? Time. That we don't want to accept that the players on the field could ever walk in the shoes of the players we saw. And also keep in mind, Nolan Ryan was looked upon as what was wrong in baseball when he became the first million-dollar-a-year player as a free agent. Leaving the California Angels, a team that was in the playoffs, that he was a star on, and leaving for Houston for over a million dollars a year, what could be more disgusting than that?
And especially the players went on strike the next year. And you got a bunch of million dollars. These guys making million dollars a year like Nolan Ryan. Why couldn't he be an old school guy like Sandy Koufax? I remember when Sandy Koufax played, he sat out wanting more money. And why can't he be an old school guy? And, and so on and so on and so on. It just struck me as odd, but actually struck me as astonishingly appropriate that a player who, if you we, we went back to Twitter, if Twitter existed back in 1990 and 1991 when Ricky was, was the best, Ricky was at peak Ricky, he was in the World Series every year, as he was an astonishing talent, won the most valuable player in 1990, and pulling the I'm the greatest of all time, oh, Man, how he would have been portrayed. Lou Brock had class. Why can't he? Ricky Henderson, who's everything wrong with these me-first coddled players. I've used this example before, but it's worth bringing it up again. Lou Gehrig, who gave a slightly more dignified speech when he called him, declared himself the luckiest man on the face of the earth, Shortly after that, I gave a radio interview where he would not talk about his illness. He just wanted to talk about baseball and the state of baseball. And he said in the interview that he felt the players of that day, meaning the late 30s, early 40s, were coddled, were pampered. They didn't have to earn it like we did. He was talking about the era of Joe DiMaggio, Bob Feller, Ted Williams, Hank Greenberg, Jimmy Fox. These were the players that he felt were coddled, pampered. It just is an endless cycle. I guarantee you, there will be people much later, we'll be talking about the players who are playing today, and talk about them in giant revered forms. The fact that someone like Rich Gossage can become a gatekeeper of old crotchety, in my day, things were better, when in his day, he epitomized two things that old-timers thought were absolutely disgusting. The fact that relief pitchers could become stars and millionaires and that he jumped from team to team as a free agent. In my day, we played on one team and the starters went nine. And now a guy who jumped from team to team and became a millionaire throwing one inning at a time, or, okay, fine, Goose, you pitch two or three innings sometimes, is now the person saying, in my day, we were tough. I love that Ricky Henderson is being revered now. I actually think Ricky Henderson is underrated in baseball history. But it's interesting that he is now the face of old school, the way the game's supposed to be played. That's what time will add. That's what time does. And what time also does is it means that the season is slowly running out. And we'll see what happens in this offseason and who will be the faces that we'll remember. And I have a slight hunch that if you told me the World Series is going to be L.A. versus Houston again, you know what? It's all lining up to look like that. So go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. You can be old school, send me an email at info at SullyBaseball.com. The music is by Ted Thack and Patrick Kaliski. Standing on the Stanford campus and walking away from some creepy people. This has been Sully Baseball for the 16th day of September 2018. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. You can call me old school. Whatever you do, I implore you, call me Sully.